This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised. I felt sick to my stomach. My heart started pounding. I started getting choked up. My eyes started tearing up as I was looking out the windows and watching the lights behind us getting further and further away. No need to say I was creeped out and just thought he was joking. So I bought my drink at the shop and headed back to my street. And as I turned into the street where my house was, I saw him with his flatmate sitting on my doorstep waiting for me. From Disturbed Media, Join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you two true horrifying tales and a listener voicemail that are sure to terrify and horrify. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. Now, if you didn't know, Spotify just released their wrapped feature for 2022, and it's been awesome to see everyone tagging Disturbed as one of their top listens for the year. And what a year it's been for the podcast in terms of growth and listenership. This year, we've been heard in over 129 countries. So a huge thanks to everyone out there listening, sharing, and reviewing the show from all around the world. We couldn't do it without you. Now we open the show hearing from Reddit user Sweet Tangerine, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we're left wondering what might have happened. I do have a story of something that happened to me from a long while ago, but in hindsight, it was really dumb of me and I feel terribly dumb now, so I've always been hesitant to tell a lot of people I know about it, except for my psychiatrist, and I always apologize for long posts, so it's so hard not to hear. There were some other conversations had with this man named Johnny, It was mostly him talking, but I left some of them out for length's sake. This was a few years ago. It was pretty late, past 1.30, 2 a.m. I was living with this boy who was pretty abusive, and he had gotten really jealous at this party we were at earlier that night. Not even an hour after we had gotten home, he tossed me out onto our front porch and locked the door behind me. I was knocking and pleading for him to please let me back inside. I was still wearing what I had worn to the party, and it was freezing out. I wasn't sure what to do. He had my phone, purse, and wallet in the house with him, so I just sat on the porch, crying. When he turned off the lights both inside and outside of the house, I knew he wasn't going to let me back in. I felt so helpless and cold. I thought about knocking on a neighbor's door, though he didn't have many, but I had anxiety about waking any of them up and causing trouble for my boyfriend. So instead, I decided I would try to walk to this gas station and motel, which was like a little less than a mile away, so I could use their phone to try to call a girlfriend of mine to see if I could sleep over with her. Ironically enough, the road I was walking on was Donner Pass Road, so the freezing cold was fitting. A little bit into the walk, this tall white pickup truck was approaching on the opposite side of the road that I was on. I tried not to make eye contact for obvious reasons, but then I heard the truck stopping and beginning to make a U-turn, and my heart just started pounding. I just about froze up, 
but forced myself to speed walk at the very least. The truck pulled up to me and this guy rolled down his window and asked what I was doing out this late. I told him how I was going to meet my friend at the gas station and that she was expecting me. He sort of smiled and offered me a ride. I said no thank you, citing that I shouldn't hitchhike. He told me, well good, I don't pick up hitchhikers or anyone. You don't look like a hitchhiker though, you just look like you need some help. He just kept driving next to me and told me I shouldn't think he was a creep, and he pulled out what looked like a police badge and told me he had just gotten off duty, which was why he was in civilian clothes and out so late. He said he wouldn't mind driving next to me, just to make sure I get to where I was heading safely. I was naive and a bit too trusting of his kindness and credentials, and when he offered me a ride again, I said that would be nice, because the gas station wasn't that far away anyway. He popped the door open for me and I hopped in. The radio was low. It was a little messy. The ashtray was full of cigarettes. There were a lot of newspapers on the passenger floor. As I was moving my feet, some of the papers shifted, showing a pair of handcuffs, some coffee cups, empty water bottles, rags, a highlight-colored bandana, and some other things. He apologized, saying that it was the truck he took hunting, but it was super warm, so I was happy and didn't mind at all. He told me his name was John. He asked why I was scantily dressed without a jacket, and I started to tell him about the party and the fight I had been in with my boyfriend. He was super charming and attentive. He even laughed that he could go back and arrest him. I asked about him and he told me about his family. He was a young dad. He had a wife, a daughter, a son, and a dog. And I told him it was like he had the perfect little family. And he laughed and said he certainly did. Then it had sort of clicked for me to ask him if I could use his phone. But he said no because he had to save his battery. We were approaching the gas station and he drove right past it. I politely said, oh, I think that's the one. But he didn't answer me. I felt sick to my stomach. My heart started pounding. I started getting choked up. My eyes started tearing up as I was looking out the windows and watching the lights behind us getting further and further away. It was hard for me to even speak, but somehow I murmured, asking if he could please turn around. And he ignored me. Whenever I would look at him, he just looked empty-eyed and emotionless, totally dead and glazed. I looked back out the window and down at the road to see if maybe we were going slow enough that I could make a leap out of the car without seriously injuring myself. I remember always hearing, never go to the second location, but I thought about the possibility of jumping out and breaking an ankle and how it would be a lot harder to get away with one foot as opposed to two, debating with myself that there was snow on the ground. But then again snow is hard to get along in, especially when you're not fully clothed. I feel so dumb now too because I wasn't even tied up or anything. I was just so scared though. Like there was nothing but trees, an empty road, and us. I was crying pretty badly at this point and I asked if I could please borrow his phone again. I don't know why I even asked and he told me to stop talking. Then he started talking underneath his breath saying, girls shouldn't be out so late. You shouldn't have been alone this late. Look what you're doing to me, dressed like a slut. And other derogatory things. As he kept saying these terrible things, too many to type out here, I wasn't even responding. I was just crying and trying to think past the fear I was feeling. I remembered the pair of handcuffs I remember seeing under the papers beneath my feet. So I used that little scoopy motion. I managed to use my feet to scoop the handcuffs up and use my heels and toes to push them under the bottom of my seat, as far as I could. I was thinking of different things I could do to try to help myself, 
Like if we were close enough to some upcoming lights or structures, if I ever made it to them, I could just grab the wheel and cause us to crash into them. Or maybe how if I got lucky enough for a cop to pass us, I could grab the wheel and swerve so he would appear to be a drunk driver and we'd get pulled over. I guiltily thought about the possibility if this man is just having a weird night and how if I did anything it would hurt him. But I told myself that sort of thinking sort of got me into this mess. He pulled off the road where there were still woods on both sides of us. On his side, the wooded trees were closer to the road. On mine, there was a small gap fully covered in thick, I don't know how many feet, of snow. Before the trees thickly picked up, maybe 10 to 16 yards away. He turned off the car and coldly said there was something wrong with the car and to get out with him. As he grabbed the keys and was stepping out of the car, I grabbed onto the center console and cried and pleaded, not to make me get out with him because it was too cold. He turned around to face me, his door still open and shouted at me to get out of the car because we had to go check out the trunk bed hatch. I dug my fingernails deeper into the console, thinking my cries of no and head shaking would cause him to come around to my side of the car and drag me out himself. I was crying and said, please, John, I'm so cold and scared. I was thinking of everything I ever heard. Humanize yourself, use first names. He stared at me in this way. I can't even describe it to this day. I don't even know how to start. He got back in the car and I slinked towards my window, scared he would drag me over the console. He turned off the headlights and everything just looked dark blue. He stared at the steering wheel for what felt like years before lighting a cigarette, looking out his window and back at me and then back out his window. He heard me shuffle my feet on the newspapers. I was just adjusting my legs. But while still staring out his window, told me if I thought about running... He had a quick way to get me where he wanted me. And oddly enough, I was sort of thinking of running minutes before that, but reasoned that if he wanted me out of the car, then I should definitely stay in. Otherwise, he could chase me or shoot me. In case he had hunting rifles in the back, I didn't dare look. I'm glad I was right. I think at that point, I sort of hit some sort of bottom of my reserve, and instead of panic, there was numbness and exhaustion. There were still an occasional hot tear or two, but I just remember being numb. I talked to a psychiatrist about this sort of thing, and he thinks it just came from my ex-boyfriends giving me PTSD. It was dead quiet, but I finally just barely audibly told him that my friend was still waiting for me and asked about his wife and children, and he flatly said he didn't have a wife or children and that his house was empty. I asked him what he was thinking about, and he said, I'm thinking of what to do with you. He didn't say it angrily. He just said it flatly and coldly, which sort of scared me more. I did start getting worked back up to a cry at that point, and he told me not to cry and turned the car on, offering me some heat. I just cried and said I wanted to go home. Eventually, he started driving and kept driving until we were approaching a gas station. I was gauging the right time to reach for the wheel, but before I could, he started slowing down. While pulling up, he told me not to tell anyone or he would find me. Then he told me all he was doing was teaching me a lesson not to hitchhike with strangers. He was almost coming to a complete stop when he told me to get out before he changes his mind. Before he could even get another look at me to assess my understanding, I was already down out of the truck and sprinting towards the gas station. The panic was overwhelming me, but then I stopped and remembered to try to see his license plate. I turned around but only caught the blur of the last three numbers as he was driving off. I ran inside and asked the clerk behind the counter to please call the police. I waited until the officer got there and I'll be honest, I was a little scared it would be John. My fears melted away when the new-faced policeman got there. I gave him the description of John, his appearance, the vehicle color and type, the parts of the license plate number I had caught, 
The fact he said he was an off-duty cop, just basically anything I could. I asked him if he could look at the camera and the officer disappeared in the back for a little bit, then came back out saying there was nothing on them. I asked if I would be able to look and the officer said no and asked me if I didn't trust him and I told him of course I did. The officer gave me a ride to my friends, lecturing me for hitchhiking, consisting of him repeatedly asking if I knew who Ted Bundy was. Of course I knew. I was just naive to think it could never happen to me, and I was desperate for some warmth. I never heard anything back about the report that was made, so I would try to follow up, and each time I did, they never got back to me aside from this one time I was told my case number didn't exist. But that didn't stop me from trying to follow up. Throughout the months and years, I asked my friend, whose home I slept over at that one night, if she ever heard of any, like, weirdness or anything since that incident had happened to her or anyone up there, and she always says no. So I sort of let it go and try to tell myself that maybe he actually was just trying to teach me a lesson or something. I mean, I definitely never hitchhiked again, so if it was a lesson, it certainly worked. I never heard anything back having to do with the case. I never heard of any other odd experiences up there. Maybe it was just one man trying to teach me something. But honestly, sometimes I think I tell myself all of that to help me sleep better at night. It all felt really real. Even if it wasn't real, I'm really glad I didn't get out of that car in the woods that night. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. You're listening to Disturbed from Disturbed Media. Up next, we have a listener voicemail from Lorena, and she realizes she just might have a gift. This takes place about four to five years ago. 
And my aunt has this house and she bought the house about almost 20 years ago now. She has four kids. The youngest one now is 11. And that is who I shared this incident with. So at the time she was about between seven and nine years old. I go over there just to visit and her brother, he's the oldest of the four. He lives downstairs in the basement. He has the room downstairs and we all hang out in there. So it's myself, my youngest cousin, her brother, and my sister. The youngest and I, we love ghost stories. We love, you know, watching ghost videos. And I really wish that I could (laughs) share the podcast with her, but we're all just sitting around. We start playing a card game. We finish the game. And then she tells me that she had experienced something that was really weird. And I said, what do you mean? And uh, she's like, I don't want to tell you. And I said, okay. So I started explaining what happened to me. So this was years, years, years ago. And this was actually the last time that I had slept over at my aunt's house. And the last time I slept over at my aunt's house, there was this woman, older woman. She came in through the front door. And the best way I can describe it is she misted through the front door. And as soon as you open the front door, straight ahead, it's a closet. And then there's a little door that leads up to the balcony. So this woman misted through the front door. She looks over at me and then she goes upstairs into the attic. And this was very late at night. Everyone was sleeping and I didn't know what to think. And I pulled the covers up over my face. And the next thing I remember, it was daytime. So I started telling my cousin the story and her eyes were just so wide. I also remember what the old woman was wearing. She was wearing a pink sweater and on the one side, it had flowers that were embroidered into her sweater. And she was wearing a long, almost white skirt, maybe cream colored. And she had glasses with uh, white hair. And my cousin said, oh my gosh, I've seen her. And I said, what? What do you mean? She's like, yeah, this is what I was going to tell you, but I was too scared to tell you because I didn't think you were going to believe me. And I said, well, where did you see her? And she said, well, I saw her laying on my brother's bed and she called my name and she said, hey, come here. And my stomach just dropped. And I said, okay, well, let's just, let's talk about something else. So then my other cousin, her brother, he chimed in and he said, oh yeah, you know, I've had a couple experiences where I couldn't wake up, but I saw this figure and it was really tall and he had a hat on with a briefcase. And I know that in past stories, you know, people have talked about the shadow man or, you know, the hat man. And I'm pretty sure my cousin had experienced that for himself. And I was, I Googled it and I showed him and he said, yeah, that's who I saw. And sometimes he just stands there. Sometimes he's holding a briefcase and sometimes he's not holding a briefcase. But he gestures me to come with him. But I just, I can't move and I can't blink and I can only look at him. I said, oh my gosh, wow. So I just thought to myself, well, maybe the three of us share this gift, if you will. And 
I was just so terrified because I, like I said before, I can see and hear people that have passed. And if you talk about them enough, they can channel their energy through that person, whoever's talking about them. And then I can reciprocate what they're saying. So the best way that I can describe it is that whoever has passed can use your energy and they project the images and words into my mind and I can reciprocate them. And I know that sounds crazy, but I've had multiple experiences with people and their past loved ones. And they always tell me, wow, like I, I can't believe, you know, you describe them that way because that's them. I have more stories if you guys want to hear them, but that was my story and it was terrifying. Get your voice on Disturbed with our hotline, available 24-7, completely free. Tell us your experience or just leave your comments on the show. Visit hotline.disturbedpodcast.com on your mobile device or computer. And finally, we close out the show hearing from Reddit user TopFlan2223, featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas. And we meet the creepy neighbor. This is a real story that has absolutely traumatized me and my boyfriend. Two years ago, I moved to the UK for university, as I have always wanted to go there and get away from my parents, as the situation at home was beginning to become too toxic for me. In the first year at uni, I moved into a student accommodation and met some really great people. It was a good year, without meeting my boyfriend, who I'm still with and just enjoying my time away from my family and discovering what independence really meant. As second year came by, I decided with some friends to move into a house rented by student accommodations. But at least we had our own house and weren't restricted as much with noise and parties as living in a small shared flat in the first year. I had a ground floor room and my window gave into a very small backyard in which I would go smoke every day as I am a smoker and in which there would be a very thin wooden door giving into the other side of the street where you would put your bins and broken chairs, blah, blah, blah. The door could only be closed and locked from inside the backyard. But since it was an old door, we had to attach some strings to keep it closed for good. I had neighbors on each side of the house so we were surrounded by families and some other student accommodations. The neighbors on the right of us were five boys who looked way over the age of being in university. They were strange, so to say. I met one of them outside of our house one day because of a police intervention due to one of his flatmates attacking him and the others with a kitchen knife and burning their kitchen down. I heard some screams and so I went outside with my flatmates and saw one of them covered in blood and cuts everywhere on his arms, and a wound on his head inflicted by a kitchen knife. Me and my flatmates didn't know what to do, so we offered him our help to clean himself up, and gave him an old t-shirt to change out of his bloody clothes. We then saw the guy who hurt him being escorted out by the police and into a van, and driven off to be arrested. I don't know anything more about the story. The police didn't really tell us anything else. The guy who we helped was quite weird. He said a lot of BS and kept trying to grab me and flirting with me. And we noticed when helping him, he smoked quite a lot of marijuana, 
but just didn't really care at the moment, as we just wanted to make sure he was okay since we didn't know him. Then after some time had passed, I would go to uni and come back home and see him quite often in the street and just never said a word to him. But one day, he came up to me in the street while I went to the corner shop and started talking to me weirdly, and I didn't feel comfortable at all with that for some reason, so I just didn't respond to him. He then just said, oh, that's okay, I'll just wait in front of your house then, and we can talk further. No need to say I was creeped out, and just thought he was joking, so I bought my drink at the shop and headed back to my street. And as I turned into the street where my house was, I saw him with his flatmate sitting on my doorstep, waiting for me. So I panicked and went back to the corner shop and called my only guy flatmate to ask him to open the door and tell the guys to go away. But of course, he wasn't home and no one else was either. So I literally just waited it out until they left an hour later and then sprinted back home and locked the front door. My front door had a glass panel on it where you would be able to kind of make out who was standing in front of it. After this already pretty scary encounter, I just tried to avoid the guy and mostly succeeded for a while. But then one day, as I went smoking in the backyard, I noticed that the wooden door, which is always closed, was open and the strings that we put there to keep it closed were cut off. For whatever reason, I didn't think anything of it and just closed the door again and put a new string on it, thinking it was just one of my flatmates who took the bins out and just didn't tie it back. Now, these weird neighbors would very often scream and yell and fight in their house, and it would wake me and my flatmates up in the middle of the night, but we kinda got used to it after a while. But one evening, my boyfriend slept over like he usually did, and he, who usually never ever wakes up because of a noise, woke up in the middle of the night because of a bang and some whispering. I was sound asleep, and so he very silently woke me up, and we both just waited in the dark and listened for any other noises. Suddenly, we heard the wooden door just bang, just shoot open, and some footsteps next to my window. I always had my window open because it would get really warm inside, so we both just froze. And then we heard the door leading to the backyard get shaken softly, as if they were trying to get inside, and then they stopped. Luckily, we had the curtains closed, so they couldn't see us, but we were ready to get dressed and get the F out of the room and lock them in if they came in from the window. Then we heard my window move, and one of the guys saying something in a different language that we didn't understand, and started to hear them trying to get in. My boyfriend and I just shot up out of bed, took my phone, put some clothes on, and ran out of the room and out of the house, so then I called my flatmates and told them to lock themselves in their rooms and then called the police, who luckily came in less than five minutes as the headquarters were a couple of streets down from us. I don't remember anything after the police came. I think me and my boyfriend were in shock. They ended up catching one guy. The other fled and was later found a few streets up smoking weed. The police told us they went inside of their house and found a lot of meth and heroin and that they were just carrying a massive kitchen knife with them. I was so confused as I've never done anything to offend or do anything wrong to my neighbors. So the idea of them breaking in with God knows what intentions with a kitchen knife terrorized me and my boyfriend. The two guys ended up being arrested and one of them was put into prison for two years for carrying a weapon with intention to harm. I never heard anything else from the police and I moved back home a few months later 
as I was so scared and it tormented me for months on end, not knowing what would have happened if my boyfriend didn't wake up. I'm still coping with it and finding it really tough to get over it, of always asking myself what if and what would have happened if. I now very often wake up because of the slightest noise and get horrible nightmares because of it. At least I'm still with my boyfriend and we often talk about it and that helps a lot. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale, either in writing or send us a voicemail. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash submit to see all the submission options. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast or subscribe directly in Apple Podcasts. And a big thanks to our newest supporters, Marcos Flores, Crystal Houston, Danica, Caitlin, and Samantha Kay. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all. <laughs>